2: Welcome back to another edition of the Internet's Most Dangerous Tottenham Hotspur Podcast. It's Wheeler Dealer Radio. I'm your host, Greg, and I'm joined by Brian Ashlock and Ben Daniels to talk about a very exciting North London Derby victory. But before that, we have a little bit of podcast business to get to. Don't forget to follow us at our new Twitter feed, at WDR Podcast on Twitter. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. And also, leave us five stars on iTunes because... You could tell us how our lack of professionalism makes you very happy because that will make us very happy. So on that note, it's time to jump into the, our discussion of a two-nil, I would say, emphatic North London derby victory. I, 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 I really enjoyed this match, and for a match with a half that was almost entirely inert, I think that's saying something. Brian, was this was this as entertaining and enjoyable as you would want a two-nil victory over Arsenal
0: to be? Yeah, I, I think absolutely this was the exact right amount of entertaining that I would want from a two nil victory. Now obviously you always want to like beat them four or five nil, but if we're talking about a two nil, it doesn't ever really feel scary or bad. Like they had like I don't know one pretty decent chance. Yeah, it was when
2: Aubameyang got blocked by Outervill. I think that's the only good chance I can think of.
0: And you know Lacazette had a had a had a pretty decent chance in the second half. Um, that Hugo saved and that's it. It wasn't like it wasn't like we were holding on and it wasn't really like scary and terrifying with every time they had the ball. So yeah, I just was able to mostly enjoy this game. I think you guys
1: are forgetting the score line that actually matters here, which is 44 to 6, um, which is the number of crosses that Arsenal put in the box compared to our measly six. And, uh, you know, I think we should just count ourselves lucky that we walked away even with a point.
2: Mourinho, a Mourinho like just just refusing to play that that silky football that Arteta <laughs> learned at the foot of Pep Guardiola. It's. It was, I think that's that's an interesting thing about this version of Tottenham Hotspur that I think was on full display in this match, which was, you know, for all the talk about how boring and defensive we are, and in some ways those things are very true, we... Like when we counterattack, boy, it's pretty to watch. Like we're not just lumping it forward and heading the ball in the net. Like, I mean, we have these very well-executed, very pretty, just lightning-fast attacks down the field. And you know, I think it's it's interesting. A lot of people are rightly yelling at Arteta for pushing Party back on the field when he was trying to come off with an injury. But I think if you rewatch that whole play, it shows you just how quick Spurs. Not only snap into a counterattack, but snap into a counterattack with lots of moving parts.
1: Yeah, I mean, party was walking off the pitch while Arsenal were on the attack. And he's lumping over to Arteta. And, like, before he really even gets over to the touchline, we're already springing back the other direction. And, you know, it's, it's, it's a very fluid counter. And, you know, I thought party unfortunate for him and, and Arsenal, I mean, it's funny, but I thought he did a very good job most of the game disrupting shit and oh, until he, he until he came off until he had to like wander off the pitch uh he wasn't there to do it but you know i mean boy we we turned you know a, a, a turnover in our own box into into the second goal in like a heartbeat um and yeah i mean it was wild to watch i mean son did great Kane. i the the finish on that shot, especially like when you look at it from like all different angles, to see how tight that angle was, you know, seeing him like crash it off the crossbar like that, it was just an just an incredible piece of work to cap off a really, really nice fluid counterattack. I thought yeah, I it,
0: definitely thought he'd ran himself out of yeah. a good angle there. Yeah. And I'm like, oh, you took that too wide, now you're gonna have to cross it back in. And then he hit it, and I'm like, no, don't. Oh, uh, yeah. Well,
2: no one loves a wide goal against Arsenal more than Harry Kane. But I actually was more impressed with that goal. Um, I can't believe I'm going to cite him, but Barney Rooney made a good joke about that, where when this, the kind of shot Kane took always ends with somebody being humiliated. And when it first hit the crossbar, I thought it was absolutely going to bounce out of the net and not be a goal. But that was just... I mean, that was just incredible. I mean, the the pass from Sun to Kane was pretty... I mean, these were... These counterattacks are so much fun to watch. I wish we could see a few more of them in the match, but I kind of understand why we just sat off in the second half. Like, why even give Arsenal a chance to... You know, I'd love to pound them, like, 5-0 or something, but, you know, why even give them a chance to get back in the game? I I can't argue with that strategy, even if maybe I would like to see something a little more free-flowing and vicious...
0: And I mean, the other thing is, is and you know, this is looking at the game, you know, with hindsight or it, you know, giving Jose Mourinho the most credit is like, <laughs> this is a long season and we're gonna play a lot of games, and you know, while taking the foot our foot off the gas uh, in the second half may come back to bite us against some teams, it didn't really look like it was gonna happen to us against this Arsenal team, um, uh, and so like, yeah, would I have rather us like gotten on the ball a little more and held possession and knocked it around and, you know, made them chase us a little bit. Yeah, but I think Jose's strategy in terms of preserving legs, preserving fitness, you know, for this match, it, it was totally fine. Um, and, you know, especially with Arsenal seemingly having zero ideas with how to break down a low block, Um it seemed like a pretty safe strategy. Um, You know, I don't think this is something we can get away with against Liverpool, for example. Um, But, you know, it's something that we kind of got away with against City, and it's something that we definitely got away with here against Arsenal, too.
1: It's funny. I I mean, you know, we we went into the half two goals up, which was obviously nice. And seeing us come out and really surrender all initiative, and not just surrender all initiative, but, like, really forego the opportunity to like hit them on on continual ruthless counterattacks i was nervous like i've seen us take leads and blow it uh, in situations like this enough times for me to not be super comfortable sitting on the lead uh and watching arsenal kind of come at us in waves at first it was like it was very nervy until you realize that like we joked about this last week with arteta talking about like getting 33 crosses in against wolves and like You know, that really should pay off in goals. And, like, that. no, that was it. That was the plan. It was, like, we're going to just pump in endless crosses all day and just assume that that's going to somehow result in goals. And, like, as soon as I realized, like, that's all they had to offer, I really enjoyed watching the futility of Arsenal's attack for, like, the last 40 minutes of that game because it was, yeah, like, they had all the ball. They came at us constantly and, like, there's just no ideas there. There's just nothing they could
2: do. It was, I I, I agree with you, Ben, in it, but I just found it like I was never worried about this result. It just feels like no, we just completely took it out of them in the first half, and between the fact that they had no ideas in attack, and I think they were clearly in the second half a little bit afraid of what would happen if we sort of got loose, you know, it's,
1: We got to the point where it didn't matter if we got loose. Yeah. They were just so hapless. It was just like...
2: I mean, completely out of ideas. And it was really amazing because, like, you guys can speak to this because I don't know if this is weirder for you guys, but it's just, it's strange to me to see an Arsenal team this hapless. And we've seen some pretty hapless Arsenal teams. But, like, I don't know what is scary or good about them. Like, none of their attackers, who in theory should be dangerous and you know, interesting. None of them are any good. I guess party was, like, you know, like, all right for a very injured holding midfielder. But, you know, like, Bellerin looked like com- a complete waste of space out there. I mean, he got totally worked on that first goal. Holding's a piece of trash. Like, there's there's just nothing to recommend about this team.
0: Like, Yeah, and, I mean, look, it, it's something that, you know, it, it's a failure of, you know, the post-Wenger era that, you know, the only thing that they have that's good about them is Obama Yang and he's what, 29 now, 28. <laughs> he's what we uh, all 47. thought Harry. He's what we all thought Harry Kane was at the beginning of the season. Yeah, and and I mean, you know, look, the the thing about like whatever attack it is that that Arteta like, has. Aubameyang is 31. Okay. <laughs> he's very old. See in my head I was like, he's thirty two, and I'm like, that can't be right. So I, I wound down. So he's i 20, just He's
2: twenty seven until he's thirty one.
0: Twenty, so, it's seven. just
1: such a it's just a number associated with Arsenal, you assume they're all twenty eight or twenty nine, who knows. Yeah, basically. <laughs>
0: um but you know, like he's got this attack that he's created to, to cross the ball, and he doesn't have anybody on this team that you look at and you think is a great crosser of the ball. Yeah, I think Tierney's pretty good. But, but is he there not have anyone to get on the end of
2: it. Like, they don't have right, Giroud you're, you're anymore. You're playing
0: Lacazette as a center forward and, like, I like Lacazette. Like, before he made the move to Arsenal, I thought he was really good. I would have wanted him at Spurs. Like, and, you know, he's strong and he can hold up play, but he's not the tallest guy in the world. He doesn't win a lot of headers. Like, you don't have Giroud anymore. So, so what's your strategy here? You're not getting knockdowns. You're not playing, you know, you know, your best attacker is Aubameyang and he's while he's tall, he's not particularly good in the air. Um, yeah, you don't get Obama
2: to knock down crosses. That's not what he's there for.
0: I mean No, I mean the yeah, whole you th- got Obama to like play splitting through balls and let him run onto them in behind. Which like, he did in you know,
2: the one moment of, of the game where they looked threatening before like Outeral just put in an amazing slide tackle and just stopped the shot.
1: I mean, he's basically Jamie Vardy. Like, you just want him running in space.
2: No, Jamie Vardy scores regularly. That's not something <laughs> Pierre... That's right. The second-best Pierre on the field. Can I just... I, I want to point out how great it is, and I, I'd like to imagine that Arsene Wenger sits at home, and as much as you must hate Arsenal, it must burn him to know that the best Pierre in North London plays for
0: Spurs. <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, neither of the Pierre's are French, though, so I don't know that he... would <laughs> you, know, you know, spiritually, but... But I think... I mean, thing... Well, Sorry, I was guys, just going to say... Uh, I was just going to say that, you know, while, you know, Arteta has this kind of weird attack that doesn't work with the players he has, you know, we also have to give credit to, I think, especially Aldevareld and Dyer uh, for the job that they did, you know, in the center of defense, just like sitting back there and heading stuff away, you know, with relative ease, like Eric Dyer... A couple of shaky moments, a couple of headers straight up into the air, uh, an errant pass, but, like... A lot
2: of errant passes. Yeah, <laughs> Dyer's passing isn't very good, but I I think we ought to give him credit. His defending, or at least, like, what he's doing on the ball to stop the other team, has gotten much better this season. Like, now, if he could pass it to someone in his own jersey, that would be nice, too, but...
0: Yeah, I mean, if he just passed it to Alder most of the time, we'd be fine. Like, honestly, just doesn't have to do anything dangerous with it. But, yeah, and, and also, you know... Regulon and, and, and Aurier like both of them played much more reserved roles in this match and both of them did a good job I mean you know Serge Aurier like picked up more loose balls than anybody else on the field in terms of you know it, if an if a attack was snuffed out or a cross was headed away he was always there to get it and then start springing the counter attack like, I, I thought everybody in this match played really really well
2: yeah, I don't think there's a really weak link on Spurs, and I do think we need to be, you know, you play a weak mid-table team like Arsenal, and you, you know, you don't want to get carried away with the performance. But you know, you talked about, I thought, and I think that's true, how good Regulon and um, Aurier were in defense, but they still, I thought, did a very good job when they got forward. I mean, like S- Regulon really helped that first goal with Son because he's he's running the overlap there and the defender doesn't know whether to stick or twist, and that was part of the reason Sun was able to get free. I mean, they're, you know, I don't know how sustainable this is, but it's you got to be happy with how this team's playing right now.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, again, we talked about this last week against Chelsea, and I think the the fantasy of this team is still, let's pair that, like, defensive solidity with a little more attacking impetus, a little more freedom going forward. You know, Aurier and Reguilon, once again, were very consummate defensive fullbacks, And we know both of them are much better going forward than they are defending. And so if they're defending this well, you know, that's great. And that obviously helps us, you know, keep out tough teams. But when you're playing, you know, a relegation candidate, it's really, you really like to see your fullbacks get forward a little bit more and contribute to the attack and and, and start contributing to the offense. And so, like, you hope that, like, when we see Crystal Palace this weekend, we're going to be able to balance that a little bit better. Because we're not going to let Palace come on to us all match. Like they're not going to want to do that. They're not. They're not so dangerous that we have to surrender all all possession. Um, you know, I, I, I hope we see more of a balance, and we have before. And I, you know, again, this is a very tough pick period of fixtures that we're going through. But that's kind of like we still like in terms of the evolution of this squad being like a real. Yes, we're like going for a title in a way that's not fortunate, but like really, really deserved. I think those are like kind of the, part of the steps we need to still take.
2: Ben, I completely agree with you, and I think um, we. I would like to see us play more open style, but you got to give Mourinho credit. We we just played a relegation candidate this weekend, and this style worked against them. So it's, it's true. It's I. I, I want to. We're going to bag on Arsenal a lot in this podcast, and. You know it's going to be really fun, and I want to get an update from the from the Daniels household as, to, as to how that's going over. But I do want to single out some incredible Spurs performances. I once again think we need to celebrate and sing Harry Kane's name from the rooftops. This is a podcast that was very hard on him, and I would say deservedly so um, over the last year and a half or so. But man, like he is so good. I mean, his distribution is excellent, and I think that's something that he always did well, but it is just, I mean, he's really upped his game this year. Um, you know that that goal was an incredible goal. It's he is just an all. I I, I saw um, a pundit talking about this and like, are there any better strikers in the world than Harry Kane right now? I mean, Lewandowski is the only one I can think of. I mean, maybe Messi, depending or you know, depending on <sharp inhale> yeah, exactly. You're right. No, Barcelona just keeps losing to teams to garbage teams like Juventus. So, but you know, it's it's. I, Kane is really—I mean, he really has upped his game in a way that—and I think a lot of it comes from—he's playing. We talked about this before. Son is playing at a level that I don't think Kane's ever played with another attacker who's as, as good as Son is right now. But it's just—it's God—it's fun to watch. Those two together are incredible. I'm gonna do maybe what maybe a hot take here.
1: I don't think Kane is playing any better than he played in his best seasons before his injury. Really, like. The thing that's different to me is, like, that pass he made to Sun for Sun's goal is a pass that Harry Kane has always made. The difference is, I think, is the way we're playing is that pass is now made on, like, a blitz counterattack where it becomes the pass before the goal. Where, think previously, Kane makes that pass. Whoever receives it takes it down wide. And then, you know, the whole attack pushes up and we play the ball around the box, whatever like the speed with which we're transitioning right now i think is turning the things that Kane has always done very well into much more obvious like goal production kinds of numbers i don't think you it's know.
2: just goal production numbers though i, I get what you're I saying think, but
1: like i think the fact that he has like a ten assists already is as much a product of Harry Kane changing his game a little bit to as it is the whole team has changed their game. And the things that Kane did well all along are now paying dividends in new ways. And it looks exciting and different for Kane because it's like, oh, he has an assist. But, like, it's like it's like the Tom Carroll assist to Bale. You know, it's like, you play the ball from 40 yards away from goal. Like, that's not
2: an assist. That's a little like, different. That's a little different than the Carroll assist. Like, he opened that play up in a way. He did. He did.
1: Yeah, absolutely did. But it's like... For that to turn into an assist is not like the norm for that pass. Like it's a great ball that like launches a great counterattack, but it's not necessarily like an assist. You know, like I'm not, still,
2: to take still, away from yeah. I'm not trying to take anything away from Kane. I'm not
1: trying to take anything away I'm just saying Kane has always been this good. I think you're for like right. those few years is he your, was.
2: These are always skills that he's had. But I think it's worth noting that whether it's by design or by the way he's chosen to play, like we're utilizing them in such a way that he has been perhaps the way to put this is maybe he is not better than he has ever been. He is certainly more effective than he has ever been because of how we're utilizing him. Right.
1: And then that part is like you said with son is like, he's never had a 20 goal partner to play with. So like he doesn't have somebody to pass to 20 times a season to score goals on, you know, in the way that he does right now with Hungman son. Like, it would be very unlikely right now if Sonny doesn't score twenty goals and Kane doesn't score twenty goals. Like that's kind of the level we're operating. Okay, on. that's what I want to so, see that
2: happen. What I really want to see happen is Kane to get twenty assists this year, because who, who who has the record for assists in the Premier League? Then
1: that's right. Yeah, Tyrion Ray is the assist holder with twenty assists in the season. Like Kane it's nineteen, isn't it?
2: It's
1: twenty. Oh, is it 20? Okay,
2: well, I want to see Kane get 21.
1: Then, so. So, yeah, so Kane is halfway there with 27 games to go. Uh, you know, and again, he has someone to pass to who can score that many goal. So it looks it looks on. You know, again, like we've seen Seth Fabregas and Mesut Ozil also have, like, very early, like, high assist numbers that just peter out over the course of the season. But this is going to be
2: different because we're not Arsenal. <laughs> Yeah, it's it's just we, God. It's it really. I, I think that's the amazing thing. It just doesn't feel like we're getting lucky. Like, I mean, I think we talked about last week. Chelsea looked really scared of us. Honestly, Arsenal probably should have looked a little more scared of what our counterattacks capable of.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, I think my only concern is that right now it does feel like only Kane and Son are the ones are the only ones scoring the goals for us right now. I think, you know. The rest of the team, like, has, I don't know, four or five goals in the Premier League, and I don't think we have anybody else that's even scored two in the Premier League. Um, so, so that would be my only concern is, like, I would like to see, you know, more scoring contribution from, you know, that third attacking midfielder, from Tongi when he plays at the 10, like, you know, from... Los from From Los You know, just other goals from anywhere, uh, you know... Obviously, not that we've needed it right now, but I feel like at a certain point in the season, you know, we're going to need other sources of goals because, you know, Gareth Bale and Hungman Sun are probably not going to always run super hot this entire season. So, you know, who's going to step up? Who's going to... Is it going to be Bergvine? Is it going to be Bale? Is it going to be Vinicius? Like, what are we going to do? I think... But I think that's one of the things that's kind of exciting about
2: this this team is like... uh, Again, another thing we talked about last week is a lot of the solutions to the if you want to call that a problem, but a lot of the solutions to these problems that we have are on our roster. And I don't think it's insane to think that, like, we can get Vinicius firing a little bit, Ocelso will be a little more productive, Bervine's going to find the back of the net, you know, if Bale gets going, you know, that he won't start contributing. You know, I think there's realistic, not like pie in the sky, oh, I hope, you know, this happens, solutions on this team. Yeah,
1: I mean, I think, you know, that's a good point because like even if Kane scores 30 goals and Sun scores 20 goals that's only 50 goals and last season we scored 67 and man City uh, I'm sorry it was a year before man City scored 95 you know like we're not we're not gonna get to the level I think we want to be on if they're the only guys carrying the scoring burden but at the same time you know I think we've also been I think there was a year where we were the only team with like three or four guys who all hit double digits. And, like, that was cool, but, like, we finished, like, third. You know, it didn't mean anything in terms of, like, actually winning the league. So I think it's fine if Kane and Son continue to carry, like, the bulk of that scoring burden. But you're absolutely right. The guys need to start chipping. And we need to start getting goals from elsewhere because these guys are going to get marked out uh, in games. And and they're going to get paid attention to in a way that maybe they haven't been.
2: And I think that's one of the things I'm, I mean, you said it earlier, man, I'm, I'm, I'm interested to see what we look like against a team like palace, who we're probably going to have to be a little more proactive against. You
0: well, know, let's... And the, the thing I'm interested in is like what we continue to do with, you know, the third attacking midfielder. Like we continue, we've been playing Bergvine there and Bergvine is a useful player in that he's hardworking. He does some ball progression, he does some good things. I think he makes a not- lot of
2: sense against the better teams for, for the reasons you just said. He'll do the defensive scut work, and he'll transition the ball up the field very quickly.
0: Right. But, you know, at a certain point, if he's not creating or scoring goals, you know, does it, you know, do we see a return of Lucas Moura, who does largely the same thing but is also capable of scoring a goal every now and then? Um, you know, do we ever see you know a consistent run with Gareth Bale in the first team when he's you know back to fitness, or if he scores a couple goals in a, in, in you know consecutive games or something? Like, I, I think that's the position that we most need to figure out. Not that it's a problem, and not that it should we should be using it to create a, or I should be using it to create a damper on this Arsenal win, but like that's the one thing that I feel like we need to figure out is what do we do there long term, and and who do we? Put there, and how does it affect our season going forward?
1: I mean, absolutely. There's two spots on this team that I think are less than ideal, and that's Sosoko and Bergvine. And we know, you know, that, that the answer to the Sosoko question is let's see if we can get Lucelso and Adombele and the to pitch together. That Bergvine question is much more of a difficult question. We have so many guys we've tried out there, and so many guys that we haven't tried out there that I think all could bring different things to the table and and really unlock this attack to a different degree. I think right now, if you look at what's happening in the Europa League, the form guy is Vinicius. Like, that's the guy that I would like to see us figure out how to get on the pitch with Son and Kane. Especially against a team goals, like Palace. Has,
2: like, let's, like yeah. a team where you might not have to be as defensively solid. Like
1: Right, and it's unfortunate that that game is going to come after our last Europa League game, yeah. and we're going to have to, you know obviously playing. I mean, maybe we won't because it's, it's a must win kind of situation for the Europa league, um, top spot. And maybe we'll see Kane and maybe we'll get some rotation, but either way, we're probably not going to see the three of them for palace. But I think, you know, if you look at like the, our body of work over the course of the season, the guys who are looking really good right now, besides Kane and son are Carlos Initius and Deli Alley. And Deli is nowhere near the first team. Um, after his, like, really good game in the Europa League, he has disappeared from all squads. Um, and, you know, we haven't seen Vinicius as a sub. Well, we he was just being
2: in interviewed today. Like, I, I, it's very weird. I, I I can't read between the tea leaves on Delhi because they're not, like, like the club is clearly not pretending he doesn't exist like we usually do when a player is sort of exiled. Yeah,
1: it's, it's supremely weird. I really have no read on it. You know, but the alternative is just shuffling around like Lamella, Lucas, and Bergbein, who all
2: they do a job. Got their uses, yeah. You know, but
1: like, none of them have yet to show me that, like they're the guy who's going to like be the guy. Um, and Bale still doesn't look back to his best. And you know, the the I think the vision of the season was we'd get a good version of Bale, and they're like that's your front three, and we're just not there yet. So I'm on team Carlos.
2: So I, I want to. We got a we got a Europa League game to talk about. We got other stuff to talk about. But I want to get off the North London derby because God, that was a satisfying win. Honestly, it's kind of like you know. You, I, I think I, you, you can almost forget how much you hate Arsenal until you like lose to them or something good happens to them. And also, you forget how much you hate Arsenal until you get a really satisfying victory. Uh, ben, how's the marriage going? Is everything is everything still solid in the Daniels household?
1: Yeah, I mean, as an Arsenal wife guy, uh, this was... Usually we watch the match in, in separate rooms because I'm a very, very sore loser, um, and she's just a much nicer, better person than I am. So this, this time we watched it together because I was feeling cocky. Um, and I, was, I knew that could have backfired on me, but uh, it didn't. She sat through it. She's a good sport. It was okay. The family group text, her brother's an Arsenal fan, her best friend's an Arsenal fan, best friend's husband's an Arsenal fan. Like, I'm just, like, surrounded by these fucking people. And, like, they were all talking a lot of shit during and or before and during the game. I was going to say, they only, about seven, they only had like, about yeah.
2: seven minutes to talk shit in this game.
1: Yeah, I think it was, on, until it was 2-0, they were still, like, mouthing off. Oh, okay. All
2: like, right. oh, lucky strike
1: curler from like 35 yards out like come on that's nothing we have all the ball of course this is going to pay off you know whatever I was hearing a lot of shit um, but yeah and after Kane scored the second before halftime it was really like that's it I you look at the timestamps of my text they stopped <laughs>
2: <laughs> Yeah, do they want Arteta gone yet
1: no People still don't what want Arteta fu-
2: gone. Okay, we were talking about this before the pot. If I was an Arsenal fan and had lower moral character, I probably wouldn't be smart enough to realize there are all these problems. But assuming I was, if I was an Arsenal fan and I saw him saying... And again, like you always take what a manager says in the media with a grain of salt. Like, I don't expect him to throw players under the bus and shit like that. But he's out there talking about shit, like, they did everything I asked them, we just need to score more goals, I don't know. He would say, I would, like... Like I don't know, all sorts of alarm bells would be going off if I was an Arsenal fan, and all the reporting like today and, and uh, is that he's got total backing, his job's not under any pressure. By and large, aside from like the Arsenal fan TV set, which would provide great entertainment as always, he just doesn't seem under threat, which I don't understand. Like if I had that team, and he's talking about fucking crosses in the box, like like what the fuck is he doing? Like it makes no I sense. Mean, I
1: wouldn't have expected Arsenal fan T V to be like the most like sanguine, tactically astute fans among Arsenal fandom, and yet here we are, because they're the only ones who seem to realize that like yes, the squad is not great and like it has a lot of work that needs to be done and the board is a big problem, but like again, when a team is bad, the buck stops at the manager and Arteta is bad.
2: And Arteta has like specifically Arteta, not the management, not the board has alienated lots of players and dictated the signings of other players who are not very good. And I don't know. It's like, again, like, like,
1: why is William on this team? Like, yes. how did that happen? He <laughs> was keep, awful.
2: You keep looking at. I feel like if I was an Arsenal fan and I I was making the argument for why Arteta is going to work out, I would just be trying to convince myself of something that I know. You know, it's like that girl's not going to break up with me. Like, we've had a strong relationship. We're just in a valley, and there's peaks and valleys in every relationship. This is... It's so clear what's going on to me at Arsenal, and it's... I would be so terrified if I was in Arsenal. To it with your marriage, Chris? Yeah, you know, well... You know. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's just... It, it so clearly looks like he is out of his depth and doesn't know what he's doing, and all his... Every single thing that comes out of Arteta's mouth it just reinforces that, and it's fucking delightful to watch.
0: Well, I think the weird thing is, is you bring him in because he's a Pep Guardiola disciple, allegedly. Like, you know, he he, he's coming to Arsenal, which is a team that, you know, they want to get the ball down. They also want to play, you know, short passing possession game. And but what they've actually gotten is a player who is a manager who is a a David Moyes disciple instead. (laughs) And It's like they got they got that version of Arteta where he wants crosses and he wants, you know, two strikers on the pitch, and he like... Uh, I don't think just, David
1: Moyes ever finished 15th, did he?
0: I mean, at on West Ham. Him. At West Ham, yeah. yeah
1: but. Oh, yeah, maybe.
2: <laughs> <laughs> or or Real Sociedad. Like, ad, Everton like, David Moyes,
1: like, good David Moyes. Like, he's not even there. Like, let alone Pep Guardiola.
0: <laughs> but it's it's just, like, to me, there doesn't seem to be a coherent plan. Because, like I said, you, you hire him to play a specific type of football, and he's not playing that type of football, and so then you go and you go, okay, well, he doesn't have the players in place. It's like, all right, but did he sign the players to do that? You know, Willian does. <clears throat> does Willian help him do that? I have no idea. You know, Willian is thirty, however many years old, and is getting paid two hundred thousand pounds a week to be, I guess, a starter over you know better or young players. Anyway, maybe they're better. Maybe they're not better, but they're Other they players, could be. Certainly. Yeah. You know, I don't know. I, I just, if I were an Arsenal fan or if I cared at all about Arsenal, those would be the things that I would be questioning is, is like, what are we doing here? Like, what what is the path forward? Like, you know, when we hired Jose Mourinho, we all weren't necessarily happy about it, but we looked at it and we go, all right, this is the thing. Like, we're this is like a win-now situation. We've got a bunch of peak players. We're going to play a specific style of football, and and we're going to get, you know, these kinds of results. And I'll be damned if that's not exactly what Jose Mourinho has delivered so far. We, have, we are playing Jose Mourinho football and we are getting results. So, you know, if you don't have those things, if you don't have a stylistic commitment and you don't have, you know, then the results from whatever style you're playing, w- what are you doing?
2: But it's, it's that, that, that to me – and Brian, I think you hit the nail on the head here because that's what's so confusing to me because if you listen to like what's being pumped out in the media – it's all about, oh, we got to be patient with Arteta. we got to give him time. You know, it's one thing if he was playing, like, oh, let's pump crosses in the box and shit, like, to, like, to finish out last Man. season. Well, no, no, but my point is, if this was last year where it's like we're just trying to get through the season and then we're going to retool in the summer, fine. Like, that kind of is what it is. But, like, it's not like they're trying to play this sort of silky possession football and it's not quite working and, guys, we've got to stick with it because you give us another summer and we're going to bring the players in. They're just doing shit that makes no sense. And it doesn't. It's not working. It doesn't work with a set of players. It's probably not what Arsenal wants to see out of their team. I, I, I mean, I don't know. I'm very happy about all this because I thought Arteta was a fucking fraud from day one, and it certainly looks like that's what he is.
1: I mean, I think the thing that you, I, I would disagree with you with Brian is that I do see a coherent stylistic
2: vision. <laughs> it's not what he's Arteta. selling, though.
1: Well, I mean, I, I, I see like there's. There's a clear way that Arsenal's playing. There's a clear commitment to a way of playing football. And it's just very bad. Like you look at Lampard at Chelsea, you look at Solskjaer at Man United, those are guys who I feel like I, I look at their teams and I watch them play and I don't know what they're trying to accomplish on a football pitch. I don't know what their goal is. You know Solskjaer especially seems to like chop and change things week to week in a way that like doesn't make any sense. And he just keeps getting bailed out by Bruno Fernandes scoring penalties. Um, that's maybe unflattering. There's just, some other no, no. no. Other the the, the luckiest
2: man here. in world football, Bruno Fernandes. Right,
1: but, but and, you know, you look at Chelsea again. Like they don't have a very coherent tactical vision as a side. They just have a quarter billion dollar squad full of really talented players. That's working. Arteta, I watch them and I see them play. And, like, the way that they set up to play against Spurs, like, I take Arteta at his word. That is exactly how they set up to play, and he is mystified by the fact that that did not work. Like, that is what's (laughs) happening at Arsenal. And that's what makes it so much worse. He's not just flailing around haplessly going, I don't know what kind of football I want to play. He is there imposing day after day in training, like, this specific style of football, this idea of, like, this kind of like neutered sterile possession around the box that ends in like sad crosses to nobody and like this is a, this is purposeful and that makes it just so much worse because it's on purpose he wants to do this and it just keeps sucking because it's terrible and he's well, like, I don't understand and,
2: and what's I, what I think is truly the most incredible part about this is like you read like football journals especially British football journalists and they all gave Arteta so much rope, as far as I can tell, because he looked good in his suit and worked with Pep Guardiola. And this is like, I feel like this is the first weekend where we've seen, like, real skepticism. And even then, all these articles sort of end with, like, oh, well, we got to give him time. Like, no one seems to understand that the calls are coming from inside the house. It's, it's
0: incredible. I mean... I, I mean, I do think you have to give him time because, like we talked about, like the board <laughs> situation is what it is and, like, the squad situation is what it is. And, like, yeah, like in a non-COVID summer, maybe he overhauls this a lot more. But, I, I mean, I guess the thing is, is if you're Arsenal, what and who do you think you can get in as your manager to make this situation better? Mauricio Pochettino? <laughs> yeah, you can't get Pochettino. Like, can you get, um, you know, the Italian guy that they didn't hire the last time, um, Allegri? Allegri, whose name? But they're but they're
2: not. Apparently, they're sticking with Arteta. There are apparently no doubts at Arsenal right now. That is like everything that's being pushed out there. Which maybe right. that's not true, but well, we've so, all seen know... the
1: dreaded vote of confidence. So
2: you
0: know, <laughs> so, so, you know like I just. I think Ben is right. Like, like the fact that this is purposeful is probably the most concerning part about it. I think, for you know, my point is, was that you know like, this isn't the bill of goods that Arsenal were sold. Like this you is were, you were sold yes. attacking Tiki Taka football, and you yeah Pep Guardiola, and and you're getting you know you're getting Tony Pills. not even David Moyes you're yeah. getting um I don't know Neil Warnock and like. Um, Steve Bruce, like I, I don't know. Like, are you happy with that? Like, I... yeah, it's
1: it's it's shocking.
0: They certainly shouldn't be fifteenth, like just based on the. No, they should. They're fucking garbage. They're fucking. They had
1: a bad squad. Like, there's there's no question that their team is poorly constructed. But like, they shouldn't be fighting relegation, and yet that might be the season we see from them.
0: Oh, I mean, they spent like. 60-something million pounds on new center backs and a well, defensive midfielder. what's crazy
2: is, like, as badly run as Arsenal is and as poorly constructed as they are, their big summer signing was a good signing. I mean, he's been hurt, but, like, Party's good. Like, I mean, he's not a bad player. If he'd been healthy, this might have been a slightly different match, but...
1: Well, the thing about Party is, is, like, he's not necessary. Like, they have Lucas Torreira, who is a fine defensive midfielder.
0: The who they loaned to Atletico right now, Madrid to replace Partey. Yeah, well, right. you know.
1: The problem with Arsenal is not like they lacked a good defensive midfielder. The problem is is their attack is crossing to Aubameyang. Well, see, the they, what
2: they realized is to be a truly successful football club in North London, you need to have a manager who needlessly exiles players on your team who could contribute to a successful style of play.
0: Yeah, like they bought that young center back from League One uh, League One last year, Saliba or whatever. Yeah.
2: Already on he, the outs.
0: Yeah. All, like literally hasn't played because Arteta's like, Nah, I don't know. I don't think he's nineteen years old. He could be good maybe. All right.
1: They've had Banduzi, who's a perfectly effective defensive midfielder who has beefed with Arteta and is no longer part of the team. Like he's not solving problems, he's
2: creating them. Um, it's fantastic to watch. I- How's it feel for you guys? Because I, when I became a Spurs fan, I became a Spurs fan after you guys, like, Arsenal sort of felt like the car that Spurs were always chasing, and I, we talked about this a little bit this week um, in our chat, just about, like, I don't know when it happened, but, like, Tottenham being a demonstrably better team in probably any way you want to look at it, I mean, even down to our stadium, better than Arsenal, has been, I mean, it's been the state of a status quo for a while now, and... I mean, I don't know when that flip exactly occurred, but it, it's just—I don't know. You go back in time, you look at, and this is going back even further. Peak Arsene Wenger, where they're picking making smart buys that no one else is thinking of. Like, you know, they weren't in for some, we were. I mean, it's—it's it's, they're not getting these smart buys. It's like, you know, I can't even think of the last like Arsenal unqualified success, uh, successful signing that Arsenal had. Aubameyang, if you're being Sanchez, really, yeah, yeah if, yeah, if you're being oh, really shit. generous. Yeah, Sanchez is probably the best example of what I'm talking about here. Um, it's just they have so f- fallen so far off the map, and to see that they're so like committed to this terrible process they have going right now is just—I I don't know. As a Spurs fan, I find it delightful.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I agree. I, I, I've talked on the show before about how, like, I very much feel the Spurs Chelsea rivalry is like a much more interesting and compelling rivalry now. Um and and so like I think, you know, late era Wenger the 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 rivalry with Arsenal kind of started to slip. And, you know, especially post Wenger um you know, it just it when Arsenal got bad, it wasn't as interesting. And, you know, you have that season not too long ago, the Leicester season where they beat us to third or they beat us to second. We finished third and that's the most recent time we've really been competitive with them. And even then that season, it felt like we kind of screwed that up and they just kind of snuck in around us. I didn't feel like we were jostling for that second position and they beat us out because of, you know, hard fought matches and whatever. Like I, you know, since then, they have been so bad that, you know, the, the, the level of competition is not as interesting anymore.
1: I I would say, I mean, look, we have a lot of enemies as Spurs fans. Lots, <laughs> lots of teams hate us, and we hate lots of teams, um, which is both enjoyable and frustrating when, you know, we have a game against West Ham that means something to us and doesn't mean anything to anybody else in the league. Yeah. Um, but we were on the bottom of this rivalry for so long that while the Chelsea rivalry may be more, more like blood and thunder, a little more competitive for like actual like meaningful placement in like the league table in, in the last few years, I am not going to yeah. pretend that this isn't a rivalry and not enjoy the fact that the tables have turned. Because... We looked up at them for so long, and seeing them sitting here on their ass, you know, for now, what's probably going to be the fourth year running that they finished behind us, like, St. Totteringham's Day as a concept was originated when we were, like, a fucking joke of a team. I'm like, what an embarrassing conceit to come up with. Like, imagine if we came up with a fucking day that we could mathematically not be surpassed by West Ham. What an embarrassing thing to come up with! Like, who gives a shit? You know, but like they gave a shit, and like they made sure to rub it in our fucking faces year after year, uh, even when we were just not competitive. And as we grew more and more competitive, it like it was like the last desperate thing they held on to. Well, that's you like... know, like the like the writing has been on the wall, for, like the trajectories of these teams. Probably for like 15 years now. Like the early years of Arsene Wenger was like they were finishing first or second pretty much every year. And as soon as that started to slip, and as soon as we started qualifying for Europa League and then the Champions League, like this, the moment that happened a few seasons ago, it's easy to look back now and say it wasn't inevitable, but it did feel like inevitable. Like we were just a better run team, and they were a fading power. And to now have eclipsed them, I'm going to enjoy every second yep. of their suffering at our expense. And, like, I don't care. Like, I, I care about Chelsea. Fuck Chelsea. But, like, I care about Arsenal sucking ass. And us being better than them, and if we do miraculously somehow win the league in a year that they're especially bad, it's going to make it that much better.
2: Well, I think that's the thing that has really defined this rivalry over the last five or six years: this sort of like weird lack of aware. I mean, this weird lack of awareness of sort of where the rivalry is. Like Danny Rose, I think, crystallized it a year or two ago when he was like bagging on Arsenal for like, yeah, we're not going to go fucking celebrate in a locker room over we're beating somebody in September or whatever. You know, and like Arsenal, it's like like you said, Ben, this is like all they have left. They're not making Champions League finals, they're not challenging for leagues, you know, it's like this is all they had left, and they don't even have that anymore because, you know, they're just not on our level, and it's fun to fucking watch. And the fact is they're just like blissfully unaware of how they used to win they used like Arsenal won the title and went undefeated for an entire season. That used to be their standard of play. Now they have, like, fucking locker room parties when they finish fourth. Like, you know, it's like, they've fallen so far, and their fans don't seem to be, don't seem to understand what we as Spurs fans find so amusing about all of this.
1: Like, it wasn't that long ago, like,
2: Chesney was, like, taking selfies on the pitch
1: after, like, beating Spurs.
2: Yeah, or Walcott was, like, mocking Spurs fans as he gets carted off. Like, fuck both of those guys, by the way.
1: Right. It's like, it's it's just, they were whatever the state of their club was they were always happy to like rub it in our face that they were a little bit better and i am not going to let that opportunity
2: pass but i do want to i I do want to focus on this a little bit because like i do think there is something to the point of like these games have felt a little bloodless for a while like compared to like brian said i'm not saying we shouldn't enjoy this i'm not saying they're not our most hated rival because i think they are and i do deep, deeply enjoy I probably enjoy a win over Arsenal more than I enjoy a win over anybody. but at the same time, like I think the last game that felt like you know when we play Chelsea sometimes where it's like everybody's up for it, it's intense and it's like every, it's going crazy. It's like I don't know that game where Kane scored the sideways goal the 2-2 draw and like I think it was 2016, like, it's been a while since there's been a real blood and thunder Arsenal Arsenal spur North London Derby.
1: Yeah, I and mean, then like going back in time, like Arsenal and Man U had like a really heated rivalry at like the peak of like Wenger, because they were actual competitors. Yeah, and that rivalry has disappeared because they don't actually have a rivalry. But that's kind of what it feels like now. Is like Chelsea is much, and even Liverpool are much more teams that like feel like, and maybe Liverpool doesn't feel this. I know they, they absolutely do. Penalty. And, <laughs> uh, but, like, those feel like much more meaningful games right now, given where the s- state of the league is. But I'm always going to enjoy yes.
2: Yes. whipping up on Arsenal. No, it, it's and it's great for us as fans. It's just, like, what we see on the field. Like, I, I know one of the games that cemented me as a Spurs fan was that 3-2 victory at the Emirates, our first victory at the Emirates, where it was just, like, those two teams trading haymakers for 90 minutes and, and the 3-3 later that year where it was just, like, you know, but I think that goes back to what you said, Ben. These were two teams at the same level. I don't think Arsenal has been anywhere near our level since, really, I'd say Sanchez's decline. Uh, I mean, you know, 2016, 2015, around then. You know, we've just been a better team than them ever since. We were probably a better team than them before that, but they're not even close to our level since then. You know what this game felt
1: like was, like, the moment in, like, a superhero origin story where, like, the bad guy, like, shoots them with bullets and then you realize like bullets don't hurt me and he just like laughs it off like that was like that that second half it was just like they're like throwing crosses at you all day and like toby is like heading them clear and you're just like oh everything you have i'm just completely invulnerable to and this is absolutely hilarious
2: so who's like, neo just... who's neo in this analogy is it Larice? <laughs> is it Mourinho? is it daniel levy yeah. i don't, I don't... know pick,
1: pick your boys okay <laughs> It's Joe Lewis
2: on his lot in the <laughs> Just God. imagine fat Joe Lewis doing kung fu and looking at his hand. But, right, go ahead, Brian.
0: Yeah, I, I don't know where to go with that, Brian, you, but please free. No, I, 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 I just trying to picture Joe Lewis and his ill-begotten gains, like, stacked behind him as he protects them from, I don't know, a flamethrower or a tax collector of some sort. I don't know.
1: Yeah, he's invincible.
0: Yeah. <laughs> It's, it's Cayman Islands are a great tax shield um, I don't look I don't know I, I, I like I said I just don't feel this rivalry as, as like as much as I do the Chelsea one and it's like I again I know it's because I'm not as close to Arsenal fan any Arsenal fans I don't have any in my family I don't associate with any I don't live in North London where I have to work with these people or see them at the you know at a bar or not a bar anymore but you know like it at your mailbox or whatever I, so like I, I just know chelsea fans and i hate them and so i don't you know I, I feel that rivalry more um but yeah it's great to beat these guys it's good that they're like it's good that they suck i don't want them to suck too much yes to a, no you know, i do i want them to get
2: I fucking do. relegated i don't, I don't know like them. if
0: they get relegated is that i mean yes, it's yes. obviously hilarious yes. could
2: you imagine how but, fun that would be
0: <laughs> look as someone who like went to the university you have of Missouri, that forever not like look so like I went to the University of Missouri. Our big rivalry is Kansas. The University of Missouri changed conferences. We don't play Kansas in bet in basketball or football anymore. And it's not like it's not f- like as fun. Like in football, every year you could count on beating Kansas because Kansas are awful at football. And then in basketball, every year you would get your asses handed to you. Um, but it's just like you, if if Arsenal get relegated, hilarious as that is, um, we. Don't we wouldn't need to play them twice every year, and so when I'd rather they just finish seventeenth, like seventeenth <laughs> like every year, barely miss relegation every me, year. And whatever, whatever there. downsides,
1: Your championship would be like the most humbling thing that could ever happen to an Arsenal fan. Like
0: I don't feel like ready. they'd be humbled because then they'd win the championship and they'd come up and they'd be like, "We won the league. When was the last time Spurs <laughs> won the league?"
2: No, see that's the thing though. You look at the trajectory of Arsenal fans over the last decade, and I feel like Spurs winning a very big trophy while something very bad happens to them, is, like, becoming more and more inevitable. And they had a very, like, they had a very close call two years ago. But I think we're getting, we're inching closer and closer to that. And I, I desperately, like, I don't know. I, I feel like it's it's too much to hope for, that not only would we win the league, but Arsenal would get relegated the same year. But, God, that would be an incredible season, wouldn't it? It's a perfect season. There would be. That, that's it.
1: That's the dream.
0: Yeah, I, I can't imagine how great that would be,
2: Ben. I, I can't imagine how great that would be for you in particular. But I mean, I would have to get divorced, but
1: <laughs> I not because like of the situation, because I would be such an insufferable <laughs> asshole. Like I would not be it. <laughs>
0: We wouldn't, you wouldn't have to go to any more family get-togethers or anything, though. So. That's
2: true. That's nice. I do hate family get-togethers. So, yeah. So, we, we, we have a bit of a packed schedule coming up. We play our final game in the Europa League against uh, Royal Antwerp this Thursday. Uh, we need to win to win the group. Uh, I, I don't know if you guys have any thoughts about this. Antwerp has certainly been the best team we've played in the Europa League, but I'd like to think we can win this.
0: Um. From talking, play, <laughs> maybe from talking to our local Belgian person in our in our writers room, he's uh, he says that uh, Royal Antwerp have been bad since we played them, um, and they've only been winning games in the Europa League. And, like they've lost, I guess, four in a row in the league or something like that. Um, and so, and, and like, comically poor. Um, in terms of like some of the errors and the goals that they've conceded. But they've been good in the Europa League, so who knows what we'll get.
1: Yeah, so Antwerp is ha, beat us. Uh, the first time we played them, we need to beat them to finish top of the group. I think despite being very surprised by them last time out, I think we're obviously capable of taking it to them. Um, I have no idea what the rotation is going to look like, how fit our squad is. Uh, we have a lot of games to manage. We have Palace on the weekend, and then we have Liverpool midweek next week. So that's kind of going to be an issue. Um, you know, even if we don't beat Antwerp, we're still qualified for the next phase of Europa League. Uh, I'd rather finish top of the group, but if we don't, it's not the end of the world. And it's certainly – I'd rather finish second in the group if it means we're going to beat Palace and beat Liverpool. So.
2: But I think Antwerp and Liverpool, so not Liverpool Palace should be two very interesting games. We talked about this earlier, just in terms of how our Spurs are Spurs going to play in games where they might be a little bit more on the front foot. And I'm interested to see that. Not that that will inform how we play against Liverpool, but I am interested to see it. And I hope we get lots of Vinicius in these games.
0: Yeah, I mean, definitely I want to see Vinicius against Antwerp. Um, I, In terms of what we do against Palace... I don't know how you balance that. Like, do you do you do you kind of punt on it a little bit in in hopes of the Liverpool game and having everybody fit? Or you, you should say, be able to be creative. You know, hey, look, Kane, son, you guys are playing 180 minutes. You know, in you know Sunday and Wednesday, like that's just what you're doing. I mean, and then I think that's what you
2: do. I mean, the problem, and is... and then I guess
0: they have to play 270 because they play. They're going to play Leicester on Sunday too, so. Uh, I mean notorious internet XG terrorist Michael Cayley made a good point when we were talking about this a few
2: weeks ago is the hardest part of a title challenge is like holding serve with your competitors and you know if I have to punt one of these games, I'd rather punt Antwerp. Yeah, because we're already qualified, so
0: meh.
2: right Calgarger is great because you avoid
1: the Champions League dropouts, but like it's not worth losing ground in the league when we're actually in the
2: title race. Besides, how much do we really want to avoid Barcelona right now? Exactly.
1: We've beaten them before, so. <laughs>
0: After the Leicester game, you've got the the League Cup quarterfinal where you can basically rest players cuz Stoke are awful. And then you've got Wolves who have been pretty bad. So, you know, once you get through the Leicester game, you have you can rotate again. But yeah, the those three deciding how you play those three league games in a row is going to be interesting for Mourinho.
2: Well, I think that's a good note to wrap it up on. Uh, Ben, where can people find you on the internet?
1: Well, you can find me on Twitter at ComradeUspurs.
0: Brian, how about you? Uh, You can find me on Twitter also at Brian underscore Ashlock. That is Brian with a Y. And you can find me on Twitter.com
2: at Skipjack0079. And, of course, you should uh, follow our Twitter account at WDR Podcast. That's WDR as in Wheeler Dealer Radio. On behalf of Ben, on behalf of Brian, and on behalf, of course, of Brett Rainbow, I've been your host, Greg. Come on, you Spurs.